Good morning, everyone. It's so good to see all of you. Welcome, and welcome to those of you online. I just wanted to let you know that we do have hosts online that are available throughout the service. Um, They can pray for you or talk to you. Um, All you have to do is click the request prayer button, and you'll go into a private chat with them. So if if everyone could rise in body or in spirit, um, I'll begin with our call to worship. The call to worship today comes from Luke 4, where Jesus returns to his hometown of Nazareth to preach in their synagogue, and he reads to the people from the prophet Isaiah, saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he said to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled, and you are hearing it. Our God, King Jesus Christ, came to break every chain, to set captives free, to establish his kingdom on earth, as it is in heaven. Let's lift our voices this morning, giving him all the honor and the glory he is due. Yeah. 
knee will bow. Amen?
Jesus is waiting there. God so loved the world. In Matthew 14, we read about when the disciples were out in the sea and the storm had come up. And there we read where Jesus comes walking on the water in the midst of that storm. And Peter cried out to him, He said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. And he said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the pool worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Let's continue worshipping that Son of God in song.
Thank you, dear Heavenly Father. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for washing away our sins and letting us be worthy to sit at your table. We want to live our lives for you, knowing that you are the lover of our souls. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Lord, as we continue with our message today, I just lift everyone up here in person and online, and I just pray that you will open our hearts and our minds and our souls, that we will receive what you want to teach us today, and we will hear your word. In your precious son's name, Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to Springbrook. We are so glad that you are with us today. And if you're watching online and you're someplace where it's warm and sunny, thanks for sharing and letting us know. <laughs> I walked by the front door this morning. It was like a whiteout out there. Happy spring break. And I know we have a lot of people traveling. Thanks for being with us online. We're glad you're here with us uh, today in person. You've got a connection card in your seat uh, there next to you. If you could just take that out for a moment. If you're a first or second time uh, guest, guest with us today, you can share uh, as much information as you feel comfortable sharing. There's a place for you to share your prayer requests that you might have. And then uh, if you've got uh, names of any adults that are with you, you can put those on there as well. And there's a box in the back. Uh, you can drop it off. Uh, but thanks for being with us this morning on this beautiful morning in Springbrook. We're glad you're you're here today. Hey, we have our uh, Easter service coming up, and we have exciting things planned for Palm Sunday, for Good Friday, and for Easter. And I just want to encourage you, uh, if you've got friends or family or maybe neighbors, this is a great opportunity to, uh, to invite them. Uh, you can go to our website, springbrook.org. I think we've got a slide for that. Yeah, you go to springbrook.org slash Easter, and uh, there's a place for you to send out invitations for Palm Sunday. We've got some fun things planned. Good Friday, we have a live drama and interactive communion service, and so we want to encourage you uh, to come out for our Good Friday service, and Easter is going to be a great celebration where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and uh, just encourage one another in our walk, and so we're looking forward to all that God has for us. But please be sure to take advantage of those invitations. We've got a great opportunity to connect with our community uh, during this time, and so let us know if you've got any questions. And I also want to let you know, next week, believe it or not, is second quarter, so we're moving into April, and so we have uh, some little cards for you. If you're doing that Bible reading plan, uh, you can stop by and pick up one of those uh, Bible reading cards. Uh, if you're using the Life Journal, you can follow along in there as well. Uh, but be sure and pick up one of those uh, reading plan markers if you're reading through the Bible with us this year. We've got a reading plan that we've been going through uh, leading up to Easter. It's been encouraging to see how many people jumped into our Bible reading plan and are reading through uh, an Easter devotion together. And so you can still jump in on that if you're interested as well. Uh, but if, you, uh, if we can help you get connected or uh, be prepared for Easter and experiencing Easter, you know, just let us know how we can help you. Uh, it's an exciting time for us as we celebrate uh, Christ. And then also, I wanted to let you know on this next slide, we've got some information coming up for you about Aspire. And so ladies, this is a one-day event, three hours, uh, just for you. And uh, it's going to be a fantastic time. It's going to be fun, encouraging. It's going to be worship and music. And so we have tickets uh, available uh, here at Springbrook. You can buy them online as well. We've got an information booth out in the lobby. You can stop by and pick up uh, a little flyer, some information about Aspire. And so ladies, we want to encourage you uh, to take advantage of this opportunity to be encouraged uh, as you come together. Uh, and just uh, if you want to know more information about that, it's on our website. It's on our app as well. And then we've got a quick promotional video that we're going to watch. And then Pastor Tim's going to be out in just a moment. But thanks for being with us today. My name is Mia Kane, and I'm one of the co-founders, hosts, and musicians for Aspire Women's Events. Our team is counting down the days till we get to come to your church and partner with you for this amazing women's event. 
On April 22nd, we'll be with you at Springbrook Community Church, along with Bible teacher, author, and speaker Debbie Alsdorf, comedian Michelle Miller, and music by Jamie Jamgoshin. Hi, I'm Debbie Alsdorf, and I'm a Bible teacher and an author with Aspire Women's Events, and I love it when women get together because my heart is to encourage women to live a better story, and I do that by teaching God's Word in a way that will make it practical and applicable to every woman that comes. I hope you'll come out and join us because when we get together, not only do we have fun, but we have fellowship, we have music, and we have the word of truth, which there is nothing like that. I hope to see you at an Aspire in your area. Aspire is a one-night event packed with laughter, learning, stories, and music to encourage you, to equip you. I absolutely love what God does at these events. I've been witnessing it for the past 10 years, and I am so thankful that your church said yes. Yes to opening the doors, yes to volunteering with us, and yes to reaching out to those who need to learn, laugh, and hear the gospel message of truth. That is what Aspire is. This is my invitation to you to invite your friends, your family, your neighbors, as your church continues to be a light in the community. So grab those tickets today, and we will see you there. Good morning. It's good to be with you once again this morning as we celebrate our great God and as we are in this season, as we are approaching Easter. It is uh, just a wonderful time of year to be reminded, even as we just sung, of uh, the grace and the mercy of our God and the lavish love of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for another morning to lift our voices in praise to you. We ask now that you would attune our hearts, our minds, our ears to hear your voice, and that not one of us would leave here the same as which we arrived this morning, but that all would encounter you in a fresh way as you strengthen us for this journey, as we walk by faith, looking to Christ our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, I meet with a lot of people over the course of uh, my ministry, and uh, I enjoy getting together with people and fellowshipping with them and getting to know them a little bit, but especially when it comes to a work-related meeting, there is usually one question that determines whether or not it is a quote-unquote successful meeting or not. And that is basically the question, what do you want me to do for you? You see, sometimes when I get together with someone, if I ask them for the meeting, I need to have in my mind the purpose, the reason for which I'm meeting with them. Uh, likewise, if somebody's getting get, uh, together from, uh, with me and, and, and it, it's, it's work-related rather than just purely fellowship, uh, purely hanging out, uh, then usually I want to know, so, so why is it you want to meet with me? There needs to be some sense of purpose to it because, you see, sometimes I've come home after a meeting and I'll be talking to my wife and, and, and she'll say, um, uh, so how was your meeting 
Uh, and, and it was okay. Well, what did they want to talk to you about? I don't know. <laughs> Have you ever had that where you've met with somebody and it's like, I met with them, but I still don't really know why. Uh, but then there are also other times where you meet with someone and they, they do know the reason for the meeting, but, but they're asking or at least giving the wrong answer to that question. You see, I've had meetings before where I've actually driven quite a long distance because somebody asked me to come to this meeting. And when I got there, they were showing me around a building, and they're like, okay, so what do you need from me? And then they turned, and they had a very specific answer to that question. It was, so um, I'm wondering, how many air conditioning compressors do you think we need for this building? I'm like, you know I'm a pastor, right? I have no idea how many air conditioning compressors. You, you, you have a specific purpose in mind for this meeting, but you're asking the wrong question. Or at other times, I'll meet with people, and their life is about to go into a shipwreck. And all they want to know is what color they should paint the walls of the ship. Imagine for a moment what it would be like to find yourself in a situation where Jesus was the one asking you the question, what do you want me to do for you? How would you answer that? How would you answer that? I mean, most of us are probably having all sorts of ideas springing into your mind. Well, I'd like this and this and this and this. But would you ask for the right thing? So I want to suggest to you that there are many people who want to experience the resurrected life that Christ offers. And yet they are seeking Jesus for the wrong things. This morning, as we continue the series that Pastor Rich started us onto last week, a series that we're calling Experience Easter, we are in a sense traveling with Jesus along the road toward Jerusalem, which is where we saw uh, uh, the account beginning in Mark chapter 10 last week. Or we're going to rejoin Jesus and his disciples along that journey again this morning. And as we do, we are going to find ourselves in an account where Jesus asked somebody precisely that same question. What do you want me to do for you? And while this is an episode within Mark's gospel that recounts a, he a miraculous healing, the emphasis is not on the healing. But the emphasis, rather, is on a man who, in a sense, is emblematic of what a true, wise, humble follower of Jesus should look like. So if you have a copy of the Scriptures with you, I certainly hope you do, I want to invite you to join me this morning in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 46. Mark 10, beginning in verse 46, picking up from where we left off even last week. Here we read, And they came to Jericho, 
And as he, that's referring to Jesus, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting along by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Here as Mark writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as, as, as he recounts this journey that is taking place, as Jesus, only about a week before going to the cross, is making his way up towards Jerusalem. To celebrate the Passover feast, we see that Jesus is traveling with his disciples, but likewise, there's also a great crowd of people. In in that crowd, some of them were probably people who wanted to stick close to Jesus, maybe because they wanted to see what it was that Jesus might do. Others were probably just traveling up to Jerusalem because the Passover was one of the festivals that it was required that Every Jewish person of adult age would travel to Jerusalem and celebrate and worship there before the temple. And so these great crowds are going up. And you can imagine the scene as they are journeying along, uh, as they are passing through Jericho, coming to the other side. They have a very steep climb ahead of them towards Jerusalem that is up on the hill. And uh, along the roadside, there were perhaps many people gathered. But Mark's not interested in telling us about the many people. He tells us about the one. There's a blind beggar there sat on the ground with with his cloak laid out in front of him. And they would do this because the cloak then would be not only something which would keep him warm by night, but would be the thing that he lays out. We see this even if you go to downtown Chicago. You you see that people will put something out in front of them, a blanket or or, or if they're busking, a a guitar case. and, and, And it's on that that they're hoping that somebody will We'll, we'll give some money, lay some money. We don't know if he had anything on that blanket. Or if he did, we don't know how much was there. But as a blind man, he had no means of caring for his own needs. He could not go out and work in this culture at this time in history. And so the only way to support himself would have been to beg. And we don't know. Maybe he was sat there every day. Maybe he would deliberately have gone there during this season where he knew that all of these pilgrims would be passing by to travel up to Jerusalem. But when he heard the crowds, and, and, and he heard the murmur in the crowd saying, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, he knew that he had to see him. Now, Bartimaeus had probably never even left his hometown. Probably didn't have anyone to guide him. The blind were not well thought of, sadly. People might just show a little bit of kindness and flip a coin 
onto the blanket. But he had obviously heard something about Jesus. He had obviously heard news about this man. Maybe he had heard about some of his, his teaching because, because the word had been traveling everywhere. Maybe he had heard about the miraculous signs that he was doing. We simply don't know. But what we see here as we look at this account is that while many appear to follow Jesus, while there were many on the road traveling with Jesus, we will only truly experience Him if we have an accurate view of who He is and an accurate view of our own need. And as, as Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is passing by, he starts to shout out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the first part of what he cries out, this Son of David, it, it, it tells us that he, though physically blind, that his spiritual eyes were, in a sense, wide open. And you see, we learn that if we are to experience the fullness of the life that is found in Jesus, as we're going to see in a moment, then we must rightly believe in him. As he cries out, Son of David! He is making a spiritual profession. In fact, it's very interesting that this title, Son of David, is only used here in this passage on the lips of Bartimaeus. It is not used anywhere else in the entire Gospel of Mark. And Mark wants to highlight the fact that this man, though physically blind, was spiritually sighted and recognized who this Jesus who was passing by was. You see, this, this title, Son of David, was a significant title. It, it is rooted back in 2 Samuel and in chapter, nine, uh, in chapter 7, rather, uh, verses 9 and following, when when God promises and makes a covenant to King David, saying that, that I will raise up a descendant from your line and that his rule and his kingdom will have no end. And as the prophets of the Old Testament speak more about this, this coming son of David, they identify him as being the Messiah, that is the, the promised one, the anointed one, the one who God will send to rescue his people. And while the people who were traveling in the crowd who were along the way with Jesus, they maybe had all sorts of different ideas as to who this Jesus was, Bartimaeus understands. In fact, if you look at the context here of Mark chapter 10, it's very interesting because we see a number of episodes. The first episode that we see at the beginning of Mark chapter 10 is that the Pharisees, they gather together. And in their mind, Jesus is a wannabe religious teacher who they feel it is their job to show him up. They're not able to, but that's who he is in their mind, a counterfeit religious teacher. Uh, later on, we see, we see a rich young man here in Mark chapter 10 coming to Jesus. And he addresses him and he, he, he calls him good teacher. 
He recognizes that Jesus is teaching good things. He recognizes that Jesus is teaching biblical things. But his picture of who Jesus is doesn't extend beyond that. And so Mark, in a sense, holds in contrast these, the Pharisees and the rich young ruler with this blind man, Bartimaeus, who recognizes that he is the one who God has promised to send. He is the one who was foretold. He is the one in whom all the promises of God are fulfilled. And he cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. So we see that, first of all, if we are to rightly experience, if we are to experience the fullness of the life that is found in Jesus, we must rightly believe in him. But more than that, we must also come as those who are in need of mercy. And and so, as he cries out, not only identifying him rightly as to who he is, the son of David, the promised one, the Messiah, the one in whom all the promises of God will be fulfilled, he says, have mercy on me. Now, Bartimaeus, a beggar, a blind man by the side of the road, watching, even though he could not physically see, hearing everything that is passing by. He cries out simply, asking that Jesus would look with kindness upon him. Everybody else apparently was passing by. Maybe a few, again, were flipping a coin on there. But when he heard that it was Jesus, he knew not only who he was, but he knew who he was himself and the need that he had. When we think of this issue of mercy, it's a word that we often will use but don't always understand. But when we think of the mercy of God, God's mercy is his pity. It is his compassion and kindness toward undeserving people, but specifically towards undeserving people who recognize their own spiritual poverty and total dependence upon God. It is never demanded or owed, but only and always freely given by the one who is himself merciful. That's really important because, you see, Sometimes we come to God with this idea of the fact that we, uh, uh, that we deserve something. Uh, we, we come to him with this idea of, of, of we can make a demand of God. We come to him bartering. God, so if you do this, then I'll do this. Or maybe it's the other way around. God, I did this. I went to church this morning. So now you need to do this. It's not how God operates. God is gracious and merciful. But his mercy is only ever freely given. We can never expect or demand mercy. We can never tell him, you have to be gracious and compassionate to me. You have to treat me in this way. In fact, When God first introduced himself to the people of Israel, we read about it in Exodus chapter 33. He makes a declaration that the Apostle Paul then picks up again in Romans chapter 9. And it's one that quite frankly makes us uncomfortable when we understand the full weight of it. 
he declares, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. That is that God says, I am the one who decides who I will have mercy upon, and there is no other who will tell me on whom I must have mercy. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. But you see, Bartimaeus understood his own need of mercy. He had this spiritual poverty, this total dependence. He recognized, I'm a beggar. I'm by the side of the road. I have nothing to bring. All I can do is throw myself upon the mercy of this Jesus. See, we have nothing, and we can receive nothing but rightful judgment apart from the mercy of God. Those who are unwilling to admit their desperate and limitless need for mercy cannot experience any of what Christ offers. That is why there is no such thing as a saving faith without repentance. And there is no such thing as a Christian who does not grieve sin. Bartimaeus says, Son of David, have mercy on me. He knew that God is in his very being, in his very nature, merciful. Psalm 103 reminds us of this. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And when the Apostle Paul, speaking to the church in Ephesus, is talking to them about the desperate state that they are in, that they are spiritually dead, that they are vessels of God's wrath, he goes on to say, but God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Our God is abundant in steadfast love and mercy. But his mercy is experienced when we recognize our need of Him. No one who thinks that they have anything to barter with, no one who believes that they have anything to bring in exchange will ever experience the depths of the mercy of God that is found in Christ Jesus. And here, we see this man who cries out. And as he cries out, he cries out undeterred by the crowd. Because you see, if we are to experience the fullness of the life that is found in Jesus, not only must we rightly believe in him, not only must we recognize who he is, that he is the promised one of God that He is the only Son of God. We must come as those who are in need of mercy, and we must be undeterred in our desperation for Jesus. 
as Bartimaeus sits there by the side of the road, he is crying out, and everybody in the crowd says, Be quiet! Stop interrupting us! We don't know what they had in mind. Maybe some of them were from Jericho, from this town that they were passing through, and they're thinking... Be quiet, you're embarrassing us. What's he gonna think of what's he gonna think of our community if there's people such as you making all this noise? Maybe a lot of them were thinking. Be quiet. He's got more important people to deal with than you. You're not important enough. You're not significant enough. You're not worthy of his attention. Maybe they were singing songs. You see, many of the psalms that we find in the book of Psalms are what we call psalms of ascent. They are songs that were to be sung by the people as they made this pilgrimage, as they traveled up to Jerusalem. And so maybe they were singing out, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And they're on the third stanza of their, of their psalm. And, and all of a sudden, this guy starts interrupting. You know, like when the worship team are up here and they're singing, they're leading us in worship and somebody starts shouting out, Son of David, have mercy on me. It's like, be quiet. You're interrupting the music. We don't know. All we know is that they wanted him quiet and who everybody else saw as unimportant, unworthy, an embarrassment and an interruption. Jesus stops, and he stands still. Because, you see, Bartimaeus is so aware of his need of mercy that he will not let anything deter or interrupt him from crying out to Jesus. Because maybe, just maybe, Maybe he will show me mercy. And Jesus stops and tells the crowd, call him. And you know what Bartimaeus does? It says here, and Jesus stops and call him. And they, they call to the blind man saying, take heart, get up. He is calling you. And, and verse 50, we, we read, and throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. Remember his cloak? It was laid out there, probably had a little bit of money on it. It was the only thing to keep him warm at night. It was the thing he laid out to put uh, his arms on when it was given to him. What does he do when Jesus calls him? He springs up, he throws it aside, and he runs to Jesus. Because you see, if I can just, if he'll just show me mercy, there isn't anything else that I need. If, if he just shows me mercy, then I never have to go back to the way things were before. If he just shows me mercy, I can leave everything else behind. And he springs up. He goes to Jesus. And this is where Jesus asks him that question. What do you want me to do for you? Now we may read that question and think, ah, duh, the guy's blind. What do you think? This question was not because Jesus didn't know his need. Now, 
it also was not a name it and claim it question. You know, it's a big problem in false theology that has creeped into many churches today. It's this idea of, oh, j- j- just name it and claim it. Just, j- just declare it and God will give it to you. No. There's nowhere in Scripture. God is not a cosmic genie. You don't get to rub on Him and demand things. In fact, it's really interesting. You see, this isn't the first time this question was asked. In the passage that Pastor Rich was preaching on last week, Jesus asked exactly the same question of two of His disciples, James and John. In chapter 10, in verse 36 same question. He says to them, what do you want me to do for you? And you know what they ask for? Give us glory and status, Jesus. Have one of us sit at your right hand and one of us sit at your left in glory. They knew what they wanted, but they asked the wrong thing. And Jesus said, that's not mine to give. Before that, the rich young ruler, the question is not exactly worded in the same way, but it's the same scenario there. Uh, he comes and he has, he has a request, but the request that he has is, Jesus, good teacher, here's what I want. Tell me how to get eternal life without it costing me anything. It's the wrong thing. He knew what he wanted to ask, but he's asking the wrong thing. But Bartimaeus, he comes to Jesus, and maybe as a beggar, we might expect him, could you spare some change so I can have something to eat? That's not what he asks. But he does ask for something that is tangible, something that is needed, something that is not entirely surprising to us. The blind man, we're told, said to him, Rabbi, Let me recover my sight. I want to see. Now, it's interesting that the word that he uses here, rabbi, it means teacher, but it's not the normal uh, version of the word. It's not the word that is just uh, saying teacher. It is actually a version of it that is like an honorific title that was often used in prayer. Coming before God in prayer and saying, "Uh, Rabunai, Would you grant this? And what we need to understand is here we see this man, this blind beggar, whose spiritual eyesight is 20-20. Because he not only recognizes who Jesus is, son of David, the promised one. He comes humbly before him, I am in need of mercy. And he asks for something that is a genuine need, but that is also full of faith because he believes that this Jesus is able to open the eyes of the blind. And who else can do that? Who else can do that except 
the Messiah who was promised. If you travel through the Old Testament, there are passages, especially in the book of Isaiah, Jeremiah deals with some, the minor prophets deal with some, and and they talk about who this Messiah will be and the kinds of things he will do. And one of the telltale signs that it is the true Messiah is that he will open the eyes of the blind. So he says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately, he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Now, it's really interesting that as he comes with a humble recognition of his need for mercy, it allows him to rightly ask and richly receive what Jesus gives. As Jesus speaks to him, there's not some a big sort of production over this healing. He simply speaks a word and his sight is restored. It's obscured a little bit here in our English, but there's in a sense, uh, the word that is used here is used to, to give sort of a, a double meaning. It certainly means your, your, your faith has made you well, as uh, our, our English translations say. But the word there also means has saved you. It is the word for salvation. It has made you well. It has made you whole or it has saved you. And we see here this beautiful picture of Christ having mercy upon this man. And he says, go your way. And what does he do? He leaves his cloak behind. And he moves from the sidelines. He moves from sitting beside the road to walking on the road, following after Jesus. It's a beautiful picture here of the genuine disciple. One who recognizes who Christ is, who recognizes humbly their own need for mercy, who comes desperately to Jesus to find healing and wholeness and salvation, and in doing so, who walks with him wherever he leads. And it leads us in this beautiful picture, considering the fact that we also need to get off the sidelines, and we need to get onto the way. We need to get off the sidelines and get onto the way. There's a lot of people who wants to experience Easter, who want to experience the resurrected power of Jesus Christ, who want an experience of Jesus. But they want it on their own terms. They have this laundry list of asks. This is what it would be look like. So, so here's what I want you to do for me, Jesus. but they're also perfectly content to stay there on the sidelines. See, here in this passage, he starts off by the side of the road and he ends following after Jesus because there is no such thing as, there's no such thing as genuine discipleship without getting up and following. Too many people sit idly beside the road 
watching as Jesus passes, but refusing to acknowledge their need for mercy. They want to be spectators. They want to enjoy the show. They want a little bit of what he has. But they never recognize their desperate need. And it starts, if we are to get off the sidelines, if we are to get on the way, if we are to experience what it is that, that Jesus calls us to and the fullness of life that is found in him, it starts by admitting our need for mercy. Uh, and what that means is that we need to recognize that we bring nothing before God. Nothing before Him whatsoever. Uh, we may have all sorts of accolades on our resume. But before God, we are desperate and needy. In fact, what the Bible tells us is that every one of us is separated from God because of our sin. That is, that we have gone our own way rather than God's way. We have rejected, rejected His commandments. We have rejected His will and His way. And we have, in a sense, usurped Him by trying to set ourselves up as Lord and Master of our lives rather than submitting to His Lordship. And as a result of that, the Bible tells us that we are without hope and without God in the world. More than that, it tells us, even as we sang in this, the, the last song, it tells us that, that we are therefore enemies with God apart from Christ. That we are justly deserving of His holy and righteous wrath. But the problem that we have is that we live in a day where, where we have become convinced of the fact that, you know what, I'm a pretty good person. And sure, I'll take a little bit of Jesus because, you know, He'll, he'll make me that little bit better. I'll, I'll, I'll tack on just a little bit of Jesus when it's convenient to me. But the truth of the matter is that we are desperate. We are lost. We are needy. We are blind beggars sat by the side of the road. And if it were not for the mercy of God, not only would we have no hope, but we would be separated from Him for all eternity. I don't know where you are this morning. There may be some of us who are checking out this whole Easter thing, checking out this whole Jesus thing. We've been sat as a spectator by the side of the road trying to make sense of what's... Let me, let me tell you that, there, that our God is merciful. But you can never experience what Christianity is about until you recognize the fact that you are a sinner in need of God's mercy. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Even when we didn't know that we needed a Savior, our merciful God sent His Son to pay our debt, to die our death, to deal with our sin so that you and I by faith, might be forgiven and reconciled to him. So we start off. Everything in the Christian life begins with admitting our need for mercy. And unless you're ready to cry out to God and say, I deserve nothing from you, God. But I ask you for mercy. Then you will never experience 
what Christ has to offer. To get off the sidelines and get on the way, we need to be careful that we don't let others keep you from desperately calling to Jesus. There are some of us who are in a place where it's like, I'm kind of ready. I, I, I want to follow Jesus, but I'm worried about what my family will say. I, I'm worried about what my friends will think of me if I do that. It's a, it's a real concern. I cannot tell you how they will respond. They may mock. They may make fun. In some instances, they may even not want anything to do with you for a while. They may think that you're just going through a phase. Some of the places that I work around the world, when people profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, their family disowns them and sometimes even seeks to kill them as a result. Thanks be to God. Most of us are not in that situation. But if today you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't wait. Don't, don't say, don't, don't ask, oh no, well, what will they think? What will they think? Pursue Jesus and receive his mercy and don't let others discourage you from that. If we're to get off the sidelines and on the way, we need to let mercy cause us to come to Christ rightly. And and that means that we come humbly, demanding nothing. It means that we are seeking His glory and not our own. We're not like James and John saying, hey, we want to have first place in everything. This is not a contract negotiation. It is a surrendering of our lives. It is saying, Lord, I lay myself down for Your glory. We need to come expectantly, believing that his compassion is great and his mercy is lavish. You know what? For many of us, even who are followers of Jesus Christ, who have perhaps been walking with him for many years, maybe we're familiar and we actually sing a song sometimes uh, that has these words. Uh, Maybe we grew up in a church tradition where we use these, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. It's a wonderful prayer. It's a wonderful song to sing. But sometimes we have this idea that we're asking for something that maybe we're hoping for, maybe, possibly, but, but we don't know for sure. And we go through the Christian life knowing that we need mercy, but not sure that God is really willing it, uh, to give it to us. But when we cry out for mercy, we know that we're utterly dependent upon Him, but know this, our God is rich in mercy and kindness. The book of Lamentations tells us that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. That they are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. I don't know what you're going through right now. But if you're a follower of Jesus, seek him for mercy and expect that you'll find it because he loves to show merciful kindness to his children, compassionate care. And finally, understand that faith that does not lead to discipleship is not saving faith. And so while we need to get off the sidelines and onto the way, recognize that we don't come to Jesus for a top-up of something that we want. We don't come to Him and it's like, hey, uh, give me a little bit of that mercy, and now I'm going to go back to the way that things are. Thank you very much. Perfectly content being the master of my own life. 
some of us have treated the Christian life like that. We want to experience more of Jesus, but we want to experience it on our terms. That is not saving faith. That is not genuine biblical discipleship. Genuine discipleship is that when we encounter Jesus, we follow unreservedly wherever He leads in humble and joyful obedience. And so where are you today? You on the sidelines? Or have you tasted the mercy of God? Because you see, it is His mercy that opens wide the door so that we can experience all of the riches of the joy and the freedom and the life that is found in Jesus Christ. If you want to experience that fullness of all that Jesus has to give, you must first recognize your need for mercy and then unreservedly follow wherever he leads. Father, we thank you for this dear man so many years ago, Bartimaeus, a man who, while others considered him a nuisance or unimportant, that you stopped to show great compassion and mercy toward. Lord, we confess to you that we come with many answers in our mind and our heart to that question, what do we want Jesus to do for us? But today, we lay all of those self-centered answers down. And we simply cry out saying, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. You know our needs. Our greatest need is life and salvation in you. Grant us mercy. Grant us mercy that we need for today and for each day that we might have the strength to follow wherever you lead and to do it not for our own status, but always, ever, unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand in body or in spirit. The song Amazing Grace was written by a man with remorse for his sins as a slave trader. He was also very grateful for the forgiveness that came through Jesus and grateful to God for taking that forgiveness. If you have any burdens that you're carrying, any remorse, any regrets, while we sing Amazing Grace, bring it to Jesus' feet and give it to him. He wants to take it from you. sweet the sound that saved 
dull wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. My chains are
Join us again next Sunday as we celebrate Palm Sunday uh, together and then, of course, enter into Holy Week to Easter Week. But now, go in the mercy and the steadfast love of God, extending mercy to one another, just as Christ has been merciful to you. And be strengthened in the knowledge that His mercies never come to an end, that they are new every morning so that we can rejoice through Christ that surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all of the days of our lives and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. God bless you and have a wonderful week.